Hi, and welcome. You're listening to the Breadcrumb Trails podcast. Once again, we're talking to Brian, who spent some time living over in Japan, and we're going to be talking with him specifically about the JET program. We're your hosts. I'm Gina. I'm Amy. And I'm Carol. Before we continue this episode, I wanted to take a moment to plug our social media. You can find all of our social media links at linktree slash breadcrumbtrailspodcast. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash breadcrumbtrailspodcast. If you like the content we put out, you can also now support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash trailblazermedia. That's patreon.com slash trailblazermedia. Go check it out if you like the content we put out and consider supporting us. Now, let's get you back to the episode. Is there a, um, I guess every school has their own different uniform, I'm assuming. Yes and no. The junior high is usually the Gakudan, which is that black high collar uniform. And then there's either the, the, like the sailor, like sailor moon type uniform, or there's like a blouse type. I've only seen the sailor moon one a few times. Our students had like a blouse that they wore. And then at high school, it was shirt and jacket and a blouse. So there's a lot more variation in high school, but in junior high, everyone, it's either you're in the sailor uniform or a different blouse or a gakadon because you're a man. But there were pins and there were insignias and the track suits were also a little bit different. So interestingly, there were actually, there have been cases of harassment on public transit or in public places. And uh, the students have been nailed because someone recognized the emblem on their uniform. I always thought those were stories, like not actually true, honestly. Yeah, no, it's like a thing. Because <laughs> there's like, there's subtle differences in... They're kind of the same, but there's like, yeah, the, the pins are different and they're just, they're, they're things that you know, if you grew up in that system, you know to recognize. And so you could describe what a school emblem looked like from the pins on a kid's uniform. And then, yeah, you could track it back to their school. So did they have a different school system? Like we have a public and private and Catholic, I guess you could say, do they have the same kind of system over there? Yeah, they're private schools. I don't know how prevalent they are. I know a friend of mine teaches at an international school. So he actually teaches a US curriculum as uh, I think he's a history teacher. I think he's teaching history. He actually teaches a US curriculum at his school. There's like, you know, bougie private schools that, you know, look good on college applications. But the majority of students, I think, do go to public schools. Religious schools, I'm not sure about. Kindergartens, oddly enough, are usually associated with uh, temples because after the war, all the teachers and adults were dead. And so the government asked the monks to take in and kind of educate the kids. So they're always, the first time I saw it was very weird where my one school, they're always late. So I'd show up and then they invited me in to see this like, they're like morning song assembly thing. And so I'm standing in the row, I'm standing at the back so that I don't distract the kids too much. I'm standing with the teachers and two kids go up on stage and they bow and there's like music playing and they open these doors to reveal an Amitabha statue. And they pray to Amitabha. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? I'm like, I'm Buddhist and this is freaking me out. <laughs> like, what? It's like, 
what is going on? And then I found out that they're they're all associated usually with uh, with temples. Um, in the city, not so much. They have bigger kindergartens that are separate. But yeah, in the towns, it's really common for them to be associated with a temple. I'm not sure how many religious schools there are. I know there was a Buddhist university I applied to, but uh, that's that's as far as I know. Uh, did you manage to incorporate any Canadian or North American techniques into your teaching? Uh, all of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally everything I did fighting with my teachers constantly was about uh, Canadian education. A, a big push that I did was on special ed because it was clear that we had a number of uh, undiagnosed special ed students who needed help. So I was using, I was doing research and then using techniques to try and motivate them in class, try and get them out of their shells. And I was able to help a number of students really turn around their marks and uh, really boost their self-esteem. Just my mannerisms and the way I acted was not like the Japanese teacher at all. I was the circus clown at, a, at all of my schools. And that and that was partially by design because I'm a weird dude. You know, we would, we would gather together and like the students would stand up and bow and the teacher would greet them. And, my colleague would greet them and he's like he went to oxford and he's all proper and stuff and then every day i would try and do something different to like make the students laugh so like one time i like lean over on one foot and just like bulge my eyes out and just start flailing my arms and screaming hello and a girl almost fell out of her desk so <laughs> Because it's like, it's just, it's such a horrible experience. So like, let's have some fun with this. But yeah, the way I would work with students, I would work, I would work them through the problem. Whereas a teacher might tell them the answer. So I'd really kind of torture them and make them work through the problem. Tell me what they know so I could kind of gauge what, how much they understood. And quite often they would pick up on that and then they would realize their mistake. So that I, I think would be a very Canadian way of, of teaching. We also had a Canada room, which we were constantly at odds with because we didn't know what to do with it. But it was old items brought in through our, uh, our sister city exchange. And the teacher started opening it up during lunches so students could come at lunch and then kind of talk to us, look at some English manga. Um, I found actually a, a comic that was written in simple English for ESL students. And then the guys turned around and retranslated it back into Japanese. So I could send that to Eugene if you're interested. And so I, uh, I printed and bound five copies of that. And I had a couple of students come in. And I, I, I was at the junior high only like two days a week at that point. But I had a, a couple of students come in and I noticed they were reading through it. So yeah, very, very simple English so that they could read something that was a little bit more of interest rather than just classroom discourse and instructional discourse uh, content. And that's another that's another Canadian uh, North American thing is is separating instructional discourse from interest discourse. Carol, Amy, anything else you guys want to ask? Oh, tons. You know, you mentioned working with special ed students. How were those students viewed in Japan? It's a little weird. Historically, because of the war that I hate so much, the war means like harmony and unity. And for me, it's a punching bag that I took out my frustrations on. <laughs> According to the war, everyone is the same and everyone has the same capabilities. 
and so everyone received the same instruction, which is not conducive to special ed at all. This has been changing for decades, where we had some students who were in the D class or the F class, where they would they were pulled out and had, and I, I like never met these students, I would never really interact with them. They would be pulled out and they would be taught kind of one-on-one -on -one with another teacher. There were student, there was a list and then there was not a list. And so I think the kids on the list were in the D and the E and the F class. The students who weren't on the list were the kids that I dealt with, who we knew had a problem, but there was never a diagnosis and anything like that. The families are really, really resistant to getting a diagnosis because then it means their kid is different or they're stupid or it's their fault. There's not a lot of awareness of special ed like we have in North America. So like, imagine, I, I think I, I might've mentioned in the last episode, like imagine living in the 1950s socially where you know, homosexuality is not well understood. Special ed is not well understood. A lot of social issues, feminism is like not really a thing. A lot of those social issues just haven't really caught up yet. And so special ed, it, it's, it's starting to get there. We're starting to realize that kids needed help and we needed to be more accountable. But there was always the argument that the parent would never get the assessment, which means the school can't ask for help from the government because that's how the laws work. So we were just kind of left to deal with it in the classroom. And it was just lucky that I had, I myself have a learning disability, but I also have an interest in special education. So I was able to really pioneer and really push for a lot of these changes. The other thing with special ed, they were kind of into inclusive it was like a mix of exclusive and inclusive where exclusive is you take the kid out and teach them in a class separately inclusive is you bring the kid in and teach them in the class so that they're learning normal social skills and being treated as a normal student with the help of an aide. And so the English classes were inclusive for the most part. Um, I don't know how the rest of the classes worked, but we did have some profoundly disabled students and I think they yo-yoed between inclusive and exclusive. Is there anything that you would go back and change in your journey in the JET program? I just started my phonics program earlier and I had to punch more teachers. <laughs> um, we had, oh, we had a teacher who was, who was really awful. My predecessor, uh, he taught with her every week and almost resigned over her. I only, she, she switched grades. So I only had to deal with her, uh, five times a year. And at one point I was in tears cause I'm like, I refuse to teach with her. She's physically abusive. She's emotionally abusive to the students. She's abusive to me. I hate her and I cannot handle this and I need someone else to take over her class. Um, and then she left and everyone was like, oh, like deep exhale, what a horrible bitch she was. <laughs> so there was a little bit of that, that like, I wish I had picked up on earlier. And then with, with another particular teacher that I work with, I imagine they will be doing that in April at the end of the school year with him. Just being a little bit more forceful with teachers that were difficult which is probably just the worst thing to do 
Um, and I got in a lot of fights with people over that attitude, but the JET program says we are there to change the Japanese education system and improve the quality of education. So, you know, knowing, knowing that everyone else hated these other teachers, but were kind of powerless to do anything, I might have acted on that differently. I might have gotten more socially engaged, try to find like a club, take up you know karate or something but it, as as a teacher aside f aside from phonics and learning about phonics um i i would have liked to see the uh the full four-year implementation of that program but uh i don't think i would have changed anything i did as a teacher i went in with tiesel i went in knowing a little bit about what i was doing i had some esl experience so I don't think I would change too much there. A lot of it would have been on the, the social side of things so that, you know, maybe I would have gotten to know more people and do more things in town on the weekend because it's very isolating. What would you say the views are on LGBT individuals? Because I, I know for me that's an issue that's very close to my heart, so... It's... I think right now it's don't ask, don't tell. We had a student who was probably gay and we just kind of kept an eye on it. Um, we had a, an activity, a really good activity my colleague created, where the students had to come up with a new school club because clubs are a big deal. And they had to write the rules for that club. You don't have to do this, you have to do this, using that kind of language. And so this kid, you know, he makes the nudist club and he says you don't have to wear clothes and you don't have to like girls. Can't remember what his third rule was. And we're just kind of like, <clears throat> I don't want to say anything to discourage him because I'm like borderline a nudist and I don't want to say anything that's going to impact his thinking in a culture where this is probably not okay. My colleague was gay, <laughs> so he's like, I don't want to say anything that's going to like gay shame this kid. And then it turns out our teacher was gay. <laughs> and so we're like, we talked to him about it and we're like, just so you know, he did this. We just kind of let it happen, just keep an eye on it. But like, he was popular, the girls would do his hair, but he was popular with the boys too. So just, as long as no one said anything, nothing happened. In terms of media, there is so much gay media. Uh, it is ridiculous how much, how much gay media there is and how frustratingly hypocritical it is that it's not okay to be openly gay. I know uh, a lot of ALTs who were gay, who were openly gay, and they were, they would struggle with that um, in their town. Um, my predecessor uh, was gay, and he uh, he was out to a few people, but he mostly just kept that under wraps because he didn't need to deal with it, and he didn't like the answer he got that. They're like, well, that that's good for you that you're gay, and that's cool because you're a foreign. And he didn't like that because he's like, well, that's super racist, and like it should be fine if anyone's gay. But it's like it's it's like an open secret because a lot of marriages, unfortunately, are kind of loveless. They're they are still kind of business marriages, and so you know, as long as you as long as you come home at night to your wife, you can fool around with your husband on the side. Recognition of, of gay marriage is not a thing yet, to my knowledge. Trans was weird because we think one of our coworkers was trans and we really wanted to find out because it would have been really interesting. For my gay friend, it would have been really interesting because they would have had more to talk about. It would have been really interesting for me because I would have seen 
the the like socio socio anthropological side of this and and how how LGBTQ is handled. So how do you think they'd react to somebody like myself applying to the Jet program? There are ALTs I've known who are like the Human Torch. They were flaming, and you could tell. Like you you'd walk into the room and you're like, you're gay. I know you're gay. I imagine there are a number of trans ALTs. I n- imagine that there are a number of non-gender binary ALTs. My like mega gigapred is actually she's she's married and has kids, but she's non-binary. Um, and that I, I guess happened much later in life. But there there's a certain amount of that. But it's it's kind of something that you want to keep close to your chest and really only come out to a few people that you really really trust it's not something that people will really ask the worst you would get is people asking you about a boyfriend or girlfriend and it's it's this kind of asian thing i always got it one of my teachers always mentioned i was fat and it was it was it was that kind of thing it was just he was commenting on Oh, you're fat. You must be eating well. That was the same kind of thing with like boyfriend, girlfriend. Like, oh, do you have a boyfriend yet? Or do you have a girlfriend yet? It wasn't a microaggression. They weren't, or it wasn't like, it wasn't mean spirited. They were just like really interested in your welfare. And they wanted to know if there was any, anything new in your life. And so for gay ALTs, of course, that can be a little wearing. But you just go, no, I'm not seeing anyone or, you know, make up whatever excuse or you could you could kind of play the pronoun game and say you have a girlfriend or a boyfriend and just keep it secret. My colleague, there was a running joke that he had uh, an, an unending line of women coming to his house every weekend. It was the same two people, but the, our, our neighbor didn't realize that. <laughs> so he's like, he had this unending line of women coming to his house. And he was this like horrible man slut. And he's like, he was like the gayest man I've ever met. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's weird because you get those mixed signals with the quantity of Yaoi and the quantity of, of Yuri in media. Um, the way that like, drag is handled because drag is like a big comedy thing at almost every public event there would be someone doing a drag show and so it's it it was very confusing for me being a heterosexual male but aware of all these issues and i'm sitting here going like why are they so okay with this on paper but not okay with it in reality and i just that was something i always struggled with so my advice to anyone who's LGBT is uh, keep it close to your chest. There are resources through Claire. There were uh, resources through Hajet, um, the Hokkaido uh, Prefectural AJET group, to help people who are unsure about their sexuality, to help people who are out but maybe don't want to be out in their town or to help people who want to keep that part secret. And there are a lot of resources for that. And they're very poorly worded so that your CO doesn't catch on that you signed up for that session. (laughs) Like very poorly worded. (laughs) All right, what sort of techniques or teachings that you got from Japan that you're going to bring back here and implement in your own teachings here? 
definitely want to do more game-based activities. That was kind of already a thing, but like, I wasn't really into music. I didn't really use like certain kinds of games or certain kinds of activities. So I'd, I'd probably try and use those more. Knowing when to teach and when to coach, figuring out that balance, because my experiences in LT was coach, 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 coach. But there has to be a time when you explain the grammar point. And there ha you have to do that, and there has to be a way to do that. So I would probably look at some of the methods, but then I would filter them through modern education practices. I think one thing that has me down is actually um, the physicality among students. It was perfectly normal to be really, really physical with students, both in a positive and, and negative way. It was perfectly normal for me to throw a kid over my shoulder and run them down the hallway. It was perfectly normal for a teacher to grab a kid and pull them out of their chair and drag them out of the classroom. Half is a joke, half to discipline. It was perfectly normal for me to chase a kid down the classroom with my textbook screaming at him to study instead of playing video games. That's something I would really, really like to see in Canada because there was a lot of physical bonding with students. But I know that's not a thing, and so that's something I'm gonna have to steer. But I would love to see that physicality of students where you can, and I would like, I would like playfully like tap them on the head with my textbook when they're acting up, or if they give like a really dumb answer to something, I kind of like pick up their pencil case and kind of like knock them on their head as a joke. Um, that's like that's something I would really like to see in Canada because it. Uh, it it kind of made the classroom a little bit more fun. There was also a lot of more physicality between students, which further confounds the, the LGBTQ question because boys would sit on boys' laps and like hold their hands, like, uh, like, like linking their hands together like that, but they're not gay. You wouldn't do that in Canada. That would never happen because someone would call you gay. And so I, I would like to see that kind of, that, the, the camaraderie. I, I'm sure there was a lot of bullying, but I never saw the physical bullying. I didn't see a lot of ostracization in the classroom. Everyone, as far as I saw, kind of got along and, and they respected that they were all in their peer group together. So those are things that I would hope to try and foster in the class. And obviously not everyone's going to be friends, but at least if I can kind of foster respect for each other and treating each other well, because you're all in the same classroom, you gotta get through it together. You might as well at least be decent to each other. Yep, I'm done other than one personal question, which is what kind of extracurriculars did you engage in? I unfortunately didn't get to do anything. I did talk to my HOSA, which is the, the assistant to the vice superintendent, because there was this weird structure where my HOSA was involved with like residents but not national residents. It was, it was confusing. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, was just, it was so confusing who I talked to about things and like who was responsible for things. But I talked to my, I brought it up one time that I wanted to join a club and my HOSA was the one who ended up doing that. And we looked at the list of clubs and we translated it and we went through it. And unfortunately it, it didn't go anywhere. I did get in on a guitar class. That was cool. We had a, uh, one of our uh, councilmen was a guitar teacher. So we had a, we had a, actually it was a scheduling conflict between my English class and his guitar class. 
and that one of my students was like, oh, I'm not going to be there for a couple of classes because of this guitar class. And I'm like, oh, shit, there's a guitar class. Can I join? <laughs> um, I did get involved with uh, a lot of the town events. I did attend all our beer parties, all our kind of like some of the some of the like community association events i did gaijin smash a couple of events that i probably shouldn't have gone to <clears throat> there were, i can't remember what it was but some event came up and it was mentioned and so i'm like okay well i'll go to it and i was just like oh i pr i don't think i should be at this event this is really awkward and i'm <laughs> of course i'm i'm underdressed everyone's in suits like i'm just like oh like I think this is like a community association, like, chair meeting or something that I crashed. And I'm like, oh, this is super awkward. But like I said, I did the, uh, the, the, the shrine ceremony and carried the omikoshi two and a half times. I uh, did that with my dad the one year, which was really cool. I did hang out in bars with people and get to know people and got, got to know the parents of some of my students. But there just wasn't really a lot going on in my town, so there, it was kind of tough. And then there were language bears, because I'm like, oh, I'd love to join the haiku club, but I don't speak Japanese, and that's probably going to be a prerequisite. <laughs> you know, I'd love to join this club, but don't. You know, my Japanese isn't great, so it's probably going to just be more trouble than it's worth. So I, I do wish that I that I did more extracurriculars, but I use that time to do a lot, a lot of shopping, socializing with friends, going to a stupid amount of onsens. Do we have any other questions from the hosts? Okay, what food do you miss from Japan? A lot. So far, the uh, the convenience and supermarket food. The, uh, the pre-made food was of high quality. I miss onsens mm -hmm. uh, a lot because I went to a lot of them. Uh, and I miss Daiso because I could go to Daiso and find anything. <laughs> and, uh, so Daiso's a, a, a very famous um, 100 yen store chain. Um, and I could go anywhere. I could go to any Daiso and find anything I wanted just about. And I'm just like, I'm struggling to shop here because I just don't know. I can't buy the same things. I don't know where to buy them. They're too expensive. One thing I forgot to mention to uh, one, of your, one of your questions earlier, Carol, was uh, one of the differences in the education system is that uh, the, the homeroom teachers play a, a very big role in the students' lives. They're their career counselors. They're their health counselors. They do home visits to check up on their health. If a student misses a day of school, they're usually the one to call and make sure that they're okay. And if you were in a situation with like a special ed diagnosis or if there was a serious problem like uh, hikikomori or if there's a serious medical issue, the homeroom teacher would be very involved with that. If you're applying to university, uh, your homeroom teacher would be involved with that. If you were applying for a job as a high school student, your homeroom teacher would go through and do mock interviews with you. So that was a very, very different role that the teachers played that I don't think teachers in Canada do. Are there is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you want to mention for this episode? Or I guess at this point, it might actually be cut into two episodes again. So. My, I, I mean, just... You know, if you have the chance to go on the JET program, do it. You make the experience that uh, that you get, but it's a really cool experience. The Alumni Association is very powerful. I met a teacher actually at a JET conference um, from Calgary, 
and she said uh, she got she got this job uh, offer from a friend. She didn't really want it, but whatever. She went in for it, and she sat down with the principal, and they just talked about her time in Jet because the the principal was a Jet alumni as well. And so she had the job when she walked in the door, and they just like had to go through, like she, they asked like three questions or something uh, as a formality. And so the Jet Associate, the Jet Alumni Association is very powerful. The Jet program is very highly regarded in a lot of careers. So if you have a chance to do it, do it. Make make the experience that you can. Have the regrets that you're gonna have, but you know it is what it is. If you can't do Jet. Interact is still a good option. It's just there's a lot more variation in what the experiences are and a bit less support. But just, yeah, working in Japan is a really cool experience because it's not Canada. It's not America. It's not England. It's a completely different culture, completely different attitudes, completely different way of doing things. And there's so much that you can take back from that experience. That's pretty much going to wrap it up for the Brian saga. I know it's been a long three episodes, guys, and I know there was a lot of information in there, but we want to thank you very much for sticking it out with us. We thoroughly enjoyed talking to Brian, and we learned a lot. We hope you did as well. And ultimately, like Brian said, if you decide to go into the JET program, you get out of it what you put into it. It is your adventure. It is your educational experience. You're not just going over there to teach the students. You are going over there to learn and to bring Japan back to the rest of the world. This very well could be the experience of a lifetime for those of you who are aiming to go into the JET program. And for those of you that are prospective JETs, we wish you all the best. For those of you that have come back, welcome home. And remember, the world is your oyster. For the Breadcrumb Trails podcast, I'm Gina. I'm Amy. And I'm Carol.